I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. On this episode, we're making our contribution to the projected 40 trillion gigabytes of data that will be produced in 2020. That's 40 zettabytes, if you're counting at home, or 2.5 quintillion bytes per person per day. We're hosting a conversation about the foundational infrastructure that handles all that information. We're talking about data centers. What we're seeing is investors who are looking for a combination of yield and growth. And I think at least the public data center REITs provide that sort of blended opportunity. That's Charles Myers, who runs Equinix, the world's largest network of interconnected data centers, with more than 22 million square feet of space in 56 metro areas around the world. Through the magic of digital data, Charles joins us from his home office in South Carolina. We have a number of our clients that needed to do quick adaptation of their IT platform because it wasn't built to have thousands of people working through a diverse area, not only within a region, but across the country or the globe. And that's Pat Lynch, CBRE's Senior Managing Director for Data Center Solutions, streaming into the show from his home base in Boulder, Colorado. We've got our heads in the cloud to explore the actual real estate that keeps the world virtually connected. Data centers. That's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take. And this week we are talking about data centers, those buildings that keep all of your information safe, secure, and speedily at your desktop. To help us with this conversation, we are thrilled to be joined by Charles Myers, the CEO of Equinix, the largest REIT in the world in the data center space. Charles, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. And I'm also joined by my good friend and colleague, Pat Lynch, who leads the data center solution space here at CBRE, based in Colorado. Pat, welcome. Thank you, Spencer, and thank you, Charles, for joining us today. Thrilled to have both of you. And I would mention that right now, my data connectivity is a little weak because today is the first day of school for my kids. So everything is slowing down in my house, and we know just how important data is. So, Charles, given the COVID era and the need of work from home, Zoom, and all things like that, just how much more important is the data center business today than perhaps it was before? Well, Spencer, you're not the only one to have a bunch of people hammering their networks. A lot of networks had to do very significant upgrades to their capacity to really meet that work from home surge. Zoom, for example, went from something like 10 million sessions a day to 400 in short order, uh, 400 million. And, uh, you know, we're a huge part of their infrastructure. And so they had to significantly upgrade around the world. And um, luckily, we were there to, to help them in that. Well, 400 million and one given today's Zoom call. Charles. <laughs> That's but, right. But Pat, what's your perspective on just how much more important data centers have become in the last six months during the COVID era? Intuitively, it was incredibly important, both the data centers and the networks that support all of us, because where there's shortfalls, and we're hearing this from our clients, right, there's an immediate need to support a new work style for many of our clients. So it's brought the, you know, the data center and the network and the, and the importance of that to the forefront for almost any company in the world right now. And uh, that's been, uh, I think, eye-opening and uh, certainly uh, has helped the industry and the business for sure. But even though none of us really know for sure exactly how much work from home is going to transform work, how many people are going to go back, how many people are going to stay working from home, uh, we don't think we're going to be going back to the pre-COVID era for data centers. We're going to see a permanent increase in demand. Charles, would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the factors that drive that go well beyond, you know, sort of the work from home surge. And in fact, I think the bigger driver is really the importance of digital and digital transformation as a business priority for people and also how important digital is to the lives of the consumer and therefore all the people that are delivering those services who need to continuously upgrade and adapt their infrastructure to meet those needs. And when we have 5G and other forms of technology come into the fore, uh, the data center capacity, the need for data centers, uh, that's not going to fall. It's actually, it actually might increase. Would you agree with that, Charles? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen this, by the way, before, right? People, you know, kept saying, oh, how could we possibly need that much bandwidth? But as the bandwidth increases, the uses to suck it up seem to continue to go with it. And uh, I think 5G is going to be another example of that. Charles, walk us through why a traditional real estate investor should consider data centers or not. Well, you know, I think that obviously the underlying demand drivers for this sector, as we just talked about, are incredibly strong. And what we're seeing is people who traditionally have been looking, you know, at least investing in many real estate sectors, investors who are looking for a combination of yield and growth. And I think at least the public, you know, data center REITs provide that sort of blended opportunity that is quite compelling. If you look at what we offer on a, on a dividend basis and then you combine that with the fact that we're able to deliver significant growth because of, you know, the sector in which we play, I think that's a real, you know, significant opportunity to get behind. Well, Charles, let me push a little bit harder on that question if I could, because many moons ago I was an investment banker and I covered the REIT space, including data centers. And I remember I was trying to get on the cover of an IPO for uh, one of your good competitors. And the question came up during the pitch are you a real estate company or are you a tech company? And apparently I answered it wrong. I said you're a real estate company and I didn't get on the cover. So I'm going to ask you the question now, Charles. Are you a real estate company or are you a tech company? Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, and this is probably a somewhat um, anticipated answer, but the answer is really both. We're creating significant real estate value and that real estate investors can wrap their head easily around. However, the way that real estate value is created is really driven by technology, both in terms of the demand drivers of the business and in terms of our execution of the business itself. So it's absolutely both. Um, you know, real estate matters deeply for us. That's why we partner like with companies like CBRE, who are world experts in it, um, and why our customers, you know, do the same. But we're clearly both. I like the answer, Charles, because I think you're right in both. And, and as I think back, you know, where this industry has been through some ebb and flows, and, and I think it's been really interesting and fascinating for me to watch as companies like Equinex develop and, and really mirror the benefits of a tech company with the discipline and the history over the over time that real estate has learned. So I think that's really, it's a great question and, and something uh you know, certainly the industry continues to think about it. Well, Charles, well, I will tell you that a lot of real estate investors might get confused by some of the terminology in data centers, talking about how space is rented via megawatt or gigawatt instead of rent and uh, other measures of net absorption and other traditional real estate measures. So before I get to that question, I want to know when we talk about gigawatts, you have a recommendation where I can buy a good flux capacitor? so that my family and I could take a vacation back to the future? Funny you should make the uh, back to the future reference, Spencer, because I actually, at our sales kickoff a couple years ago, uh, came on stage in a uh, DeLorean with a flux capacitor in it. So uh, I'll hook you up with the uh, contact for the flux capacitor. So Thank you very much. But um, no, I, I think you have to adapt in terms of being able to sort of meet each other in the middle. And I think our investors, you know, particularly the really good, you know, good ones have gone the extra mile to understand our business and 
we've had to understand and go the extra mile to understand how they are thinking about these investments. The reality is, is that the underlying, you know, force that drives a data center is power, right? And so uh, power becomes quite important in terms of thinking, you know, what the power density of a data center is and how many kilowatts per cabinet you're looking at and those kind of things. And so it does take some getting used to, but, um, you know, we found that, you know, the real estate investor is very, very capable of sort of adapting to that and understanding it. And we have a number of things, like if you look at us, Equinix in particular, you know, we have a number of things that go above and beyond what people would consider as base rent that really enhance our return profile and our ability to generate, you know, the returns on capital that that investors like ours uh, have become accustomed to. And interconnection is a major driver of that. Well, let's walk through some of those uh, drivers, if we can, uh, Patrick. Uh, Let's talk about kilowatt hours and megawatts and inter, uh, what was the term you used, Charles? Interconnection. Interconnection. How does a tenant pay rent in a data center? And how do we interpret that for a real estate investor? In our traditional real estate world, it's rent per square foot. And in the data center world, it is rent per K-dub plus energy, typically. Um, And how do you convert that to a price per square foot? You know, the challenge is, Spencer, we have assets that, you know, back in the day in the level three world, we built to 75 watts a square foot and people thought we were crazy. We'll never use it. And, uh, you know, there's clients of ours today that are, you know, building well in excess of 300 watts per square foot. So the conversion becomes very difficult and actually meaningless because it really depends on the power that you're utilizing. But there are definitely similarities in that you're leasing electrical and cooling capacity within a facility and then the interconnection component that Charles mentioned. When we think about the global requirements that we're solving for our clients, um, one of the things that continues to emerge, you know, connectivity has always been important. I'm going to state the obvious, but as clients do more and more cloud adoption and what we call a hybrid IT adoption, which is multiple clouds, they want a facility where they can connect to multiple cloud providers, be in a secure environment. And for our you know, international clients, you know, they need to do that on an international scale. So I think those are some of the things that we look at that become very important. And of course, you know, uptime and reliability of both the facility and the network are uh, absolutely of the utmost importance as well. I want to go back to just the one key word we keep coming back to here, which is power and the availability of power and the use of power. I read a statistic in The Economist about uh, two years ago that said data centers consumed 7% of all the world's energy. That was two years ago. Uh, I suspect it's a little bit higher than that now, but it also brought up the point that some of these data centers might be located in places like Iceland, uh, where it's cold, because cold might be the new power. So Charles, walk us through how important not only power is, but how it drives your location decisions and how those might change over time. Well, there's a lot of aspects to that question, but one, we are absolutely significant users of power, and I, I would absolutely guess that you're right. That number is north of 7% now, particularly as you look at the power consumption requirements of data centers built by the major cloud hyperscalers, for example. But it really depends a lot, Spencer, on what the nature of the data center is, because there are data centers where you know they can be located proximate to low-cost power resources and proximate, perhaps, to sources of 
of cooling, um, whether that be deep water cooling or, you know, free air cooling in very cold environments. And the cost of operation, therefore, can be reduced. However, not all data centers can be out in the middle of nowhere because the need for them to deliver information in a real-time fashion is still there for many use cases. And so what you see is this sort of tiered architecture of data centers where, you know, large server farms with less real-time needs can be located further out, closer to power sources, but, you know, ones that are really driving where data needs to be cached um, or transmitted between parties in near real time, those are going to be closer to urban centers where fiber densities are higher and uh, connectivity is higher. Let's talk about that other factor now, which is fiber densities, the quality of the fiber, the amount of the fiber. I mean, that's why a lot of these location decisions are being made in places like Northern Virginia, being made in New York City, being made near the physical fiber. I read a great book a couple of years ago by uh, Michael Lewis called Flash Boys. I'm sure you guys yeah. are familiar with that. Oh, yes. Talking about the, the need for speed and it's all about fiber. So, Pat, why don't you talk about the fiber factor uh, and how it, location decisions are made? Part of you know, what our clients expect from us, Spencer, is to help them decide and determine what's the best way to bifurcate their needs, right? And uh, in fact, this network component uh, has become such an important part of our business and really all of our clients' business that we made a very strategic acquisition earlier this year of a company called NEF or New England Fiber. And we've now brought that expertise in-house, really emphasizing your question and the importance of that. I think about tying the power and the fiber questions together. You know, we have clients that are building places in my hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, lots of big hyperscale, you know, folks building there very inexpensive power, lots of fiber, and very aggressive tax incentives. Um, that works for components of things like big storage or something that you know can be less latency sensitive and it's really cost driven. That's very different than someone interconnecting into a carrier hotel in Los Angeles or New York or Northern Virginia or London. So I think part of uh, the, the services that we bring that are critically important to our clients is mirroring the problem they're solving for or problems they're solving for with the locations that best adapt to that. And I think the industry has gotten uh, much better at that and, and uh, excited about what that means for the future. I think the other components since you're talking about power, I've shared this often, um, four or five years ago, almost every client we were working with asked about renewables. It was on their checklist. They maybe didn't value it that much, uh, but I'm, I'm really encouraged by how things have changed in our industry because today that same question is on the checklist and it has a meaningful impact on their decision process. So I think that's encouraging for all of us as we do continue to grow this business and absorb more and more of the power grid. So staying on that sustainable point, Charles, and, and recognizing it's a high power use industry, there's still a way to do it and stay green. Would you agree? Absolutely. In fact, I, I think it's incumbent on us as, as significant users of power to do that in a socially responsible fashion. We've committed to 100% renewable energy uh, to power our data centers um, and uh, really advanced very significantly towards that goal and are north of 90% already. Now, I've also noticed there's been a lot of building. And in connection with there being a lot of building, I've noticed that the price or the rent paid per kilowatt hour has been dropping for the last four or five years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, is that because there's too much supply? Um, how do you read those statistics, uh, Pat? Is that a, of concern or is, tell me what you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's a fantastic question. I think that the answer is scale. That makes a huge difference, not only in the capital cost, but also in your operating cost as well. 
it's not uncommon for you know most of the big providers in the space you know they wouldn't even think about building anything less than a hundred thousand square feet and and oftentimes you're talking four five six times that so I, I think the big thing is scale and then the efficiency of the build has improved significantly as well so yes pricing has declined but if you look at you know simply the published returns of the providers in the space they continue to do very well um, you know, I, when I think about where some of the risks are, you know, the industry has a good runway ahead of it. Um, but one of the things that, that I, I do caution is, you know, not all assets are created equally. Let me jump in with this. Um, the other big factor on the whole pricing dynamic is segmentation of the market. I think that's an important thing to understand is that, you know, not all data centers are created equal, as Pat said. You know, some large scale wholesale or hyperscale data centers, they operate at a very different scale, you know, and they have a different price point. A lot of the capital has flowed into that segment of the market, whereas if you look at in the retail space and in, in particular in the more interconnection oriented retail space. What people are really looking for, and in fact, you mentioned Flash Boys, is to interconnect to other key parties. So it, it, what really matters is who's in the data center that they can interconnect to. And in the case of financial trading, they, if they're looking to get you know where those matching engines are, um, they'll you know they'll pay what it takes to get proximate to them. And um, and so there has been a, a very significant segmentation in the market. And I think the demand supply issues are different by segment. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into that interconnectivity between user A and user B, because as a consumer of a data center or data center services, I have a choice. I have a choice of farming out my services to a third-party location. I could build my own. I could have an old-fashioned server room in the back of my office or all three. So, Pat, how do you work with different users of data center services and walk them through these three choices of do it themselves in their office, do it themselves in their own data center, or use a third-party facility. That interconnection piece is difficult and some would argue impossible to recreate. When you think about the capital investment that is in place, be it the long-haul fiber networks or the infrastructure of the various networks and cable providers and everybody else you're trying to connect with, you know, back to my Omaha example, I can't build a facility in suburban Omaha and recreate that. Uh, at least not without multiple millions and millions of dollars to do that. So that's one segment of the space. And then we typically see many of our enterprise clients, Spencer, that also have a co-location facility that may be adjacent to or next to that interconnection hub. And then we still have some of our enterprise clients that have their own data centers. I will tell you that list is getting smaller and smaller by the day of the enterprise client that says, I want to build, own, and operate my data centers. In fact, one of our most active areas today is helping those enterprise clients monetize their former, which in some cases is three, four, five years old. You know, they no longer, that, that enterprise facility no longer serves that purpose, somewhat driven by, well, significantly driven by the cloud and the interconnection piece. So we're helping them monetize that facility into a, a partial lease back. It becomes a multi-tenant facility. There's a lot of capital available today to do that. All of that, again, is creating you know, more places for people to store uh, and then transmit data. But that interconnection piece is, is a different pricing structure and importance level than, say, a, you know, what we used to see, you know, the space and power that can be in suburbia. Well, let me, let me push back just a touch on this interconnection piece. Uh, Because when you say that, it brings up two words in my mind, security and privacy. And how do you maintain these facilities in a manner that can give a user who has the option of doing it themselves the comfort 
that by going into a co-location facility, I'm not compromising the security of my information or the privacy of my employees. Charles. There's many different levels of security, and the one that, that they're thinking about in terms of their own data center versus third-party data centers um, or co-location facilities like ours, for example, is really primarily physical security. And the reality is, is that the amount of investment and technology we apply to the physical security problem um, in our own data centers is probably meaningfully higher than what they can apply. Now, in terms of their digital security, that is something that continues to be really, whether or not they operate their infrastructure out of their own data center, out of a third-party data center, or even you know leveraging cloud resources, that digital security continues to be a, a paramount thing for them, and they they sort of have that regardless. So let's talk now about where these facilities are and how it's different. Now, Pat, you mentioned your hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, seeing some of these, but Charles, you are a global owner, developer of these facilities. You have facilities. Um, in Asia, you have them in South America, all over the world. Um, how does the business change? How are these facilities different in different locations? Or are they more similar than not? Uh, starting with you, Charles. Um, I would say they're more similar than not. There are some differences in markets. Um, and I think that part of it, for example, is how deregulated is the telecom market and, uh, you know, that matters. What the power market and availability of power uh, looks like in markets certainly influences things. But, you know, again, what I would say is that, you know, typically markets develop around the uh, communications sort of infrastructure and the fiber, and then they emanate out from there. In fact, if you took a satellite photo of Northern Virginia, you would basically see that, you know, essentially a whole bunch of data centers are built around the Equinix campus. Um, and so the Equinix campus is really the center of connectivity. And then all this data center capacity to serve other sort of use case and needs is sort of around it in circles. You know, I think other markets are similar in that regard. Um, you know, they tend to build up around that, but other use cases develop. And then eventually larger footprint uh, data centers that need to operate at significant scale with different power requirements tend to move out towards the suburbs and beyond. Well, Pat, as you know, CBRE just put out its first half 2020 data center report maybe a week or so ago. And we saw some of these locations uh, going into places uh, beyond Northern Virginia, beyond Dallas, beyond New York, and some of these secondary locations. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and why that's happening. Hillsboro, Oregon is, is one that comes to mind, a suburb of Portland. And uh, we're, you know, it is, the economics work well there. Uh, when you think about power costs and incentives, uh, there's uh, been some activity on the network side, undersea cables, et cetera. And when we think about a still very robust market like Silicon Valley, Hillsboro provides a, a nice alternative. You know, we, depending on the client and what they're solving for, you know, if, if, if you locate compute in, uh, in Hillsboro, some of your compute, uh, maybe move it from Silicon Valley to Hillsboro, it's a 25% day one OPEX savings. So we see markets like that emerging as a, I'll call it in addition to, not instead of, because we still see our clients wanting a presence in Silicon Valley. And we're somewhat, when we jump to the other coast and you think about you know, Northern Virginia, which is you know, by far the largest data center market in the world, you're starting to see places like Manassas and Virginia Beach. We uh, jokingly somewhat refer to Atlanta as South Ashburn now. We're seeing a significant investment in the Atlanta market by many of the big colo providers. So you know, that cost factor plays into some of those secondary markets. And then the other piece that... Uh, I think will be interesting for secondary markets as well as 5G and edge computing and what does that mean? And you know, there's 
a thousand different definitions for that, uh, depending on who you talk to and when. But just think about the eyeballs in a market like a, a Charlotte or a Denver. You know, that is going to create additional data center needs and opportunities that I think are, are, are still upside for the space. Well, let's stay on exactly that topic about edge computing, about the coming wave of 5G. Uh, these are all going to create new types of demand. But does it create a threat of sorts to the data center space where some existing space might accelerate uh, in becoming obsolete? Charles, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, on balance, it is an incremental opportunity. But certainly there are there workloads um, that exist inside of facilities today that will need to, uh, over time, shift closer to the edge potentially? Sure. I think the answer to that is yes. I think the question is which ones and when and on what time frame. And so um, we haven't seen all that many use cases yet that are really driving deep edge requirements. There will be a new class of use cases that require some level of compute, storage, um, et cetera, out uh, closer to the edge. And so we're actively looking at that and, and evaluating and monitoring that. And, and uh, I think it you know, may be an incremental opportunity for players over time. Well, let's just take a modest step back for a moment. I know we're using some jargon here. Um, Pat, can you just define for our listeners, what is edge computing? <laughs> That sounds like a really easy question, Spencer, but it's not. Think of it in the context of distributed computing, right? So, um, you know, you're, I, I don't know what kind of vehicle you're driving, but I suspect it's connected and uh, has some autonomous aspects to it. And uh, that is an example. When you think about new homes being built and all of the connected devices that are going to exist in homes, all of that is, you know, adding compute power and demands on the network some of them, not all of them, make sense to go back to a, a central connectivity, a, a carrier hotel. So um, it is a very difficult question to define. And candidly, I think one that the industry has not yet defined. Yeah. In fact, Pat, I'll build on that and say that, you know, because the edge, you know, it's, the reality of like autonomous vehicles is the vast majority of compute that is done is done on board. Um, and so in my view, the edge is really this point where handoffs need to be made, you know, and where where data or information, um, you know, needs to be transmitted to somebody else to create business value. And so, and again, it is moving out, um, you know, but not yet, I think, to the really far edge out at the device, because a lot of there is done on board or, you know, at that place. Uh, but over time, I think you will see an expansion of the edge, you know, out to a, a further geo. Well, the edge is not just a great guitarist for the band U2 anymore. It is also an opportunity for data centers. Would you agree with that, Pat? That is a great scenario to paint out. Absolutely, Spencer. Well, putting aside my rock and roll references to The Edge, I want to thank two of our terrific guests here today. Uh, Charles Myers, the CEO of Equinix, the largest REIT in the data center business. Charles, thank you for joining us. Pleasure being here. Thanks a lot, Spencer. And my good friend and colleague, Pat Lynch, the Senior Managing Director for Data Center Solutions at CBRE. Thank you, Spencer, and thanks, Charles. Have a great day. Good being here. Thanks. For more information, go to CBRE backslash The Weekly Take. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well. Be well.